detective. Throw me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Care Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, where the crossroads where science fiction, horror, and fantasy meet. I'm your host, Nathan Barnabal. I'm joined with my co-host, Bill Van Vegel from Canada. Bill, how are you today? I'm doing all right. A little slower, a little foggier than normal, but that's what happens when you get inoculated. So, uh, If you're a little bit loopy, that's probably perfect for the episode we have tonight, because <laughs> we, have, we have two loopy science fiction movies to talk about. Before I... Uh, Tell everyone what those movies are. I want to bring in our guests for this episode. Before you say that, I thought I thought that was a comment on our guests. No, no, come on, man. <laughs> so we have we are we're very happy to bring back Matt and Jackson Rawlings, father and the son from Father and Son Watch Horror, one of our favorite podcasts. Matt or Jackson, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Jackson, go for it. Uh, well, just first of all, Nathan and Bill, thank you so much for having us on once again. This is our third time. But um, yeah, we're father and son watch horror movies. Uh, we're a father and son. We watch horror movies and we talk about them. And uh, though we originally started out as uh, we release an episode when, you, when we have something to talk about, we've kind of made it a job now. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the best job you could have in the world. I love sitting down with my dad talking about horror movies. We started out as a family-friendly thing. As we've had guests on come more and more, it's become less and less of that. But, uh, <laughs> oh, well, we're having fun. And let me just say that this uh, PSA on space herpes is brought to you by Phantom <laughs> Galaxy and Father Inside Watch Orbiter. And it's not knowing, a big deal. It's not a big deal. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> I hear the way you get that is when you let a an unoccupied beach ball sneak up behind you. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, to quote the neighbor from Office Space, you know. What does he say? Watch the cornhole? That's, there Watch you go. your cornhole, bro. <laughs> I thought it was rest exams on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We derailed quickly. You, yes. you... <laughs> it goes along well with these two movies. <laughs> it does. It does. So, yeah, I guess we should mention the two movies we have tonight. Uh, we have Ice Pirates from 1984 and Dark Star from yeah. 1974, right? Yeah. De- decade Apart. And probably most uh, notably, or most significantly, one is pre-Star Wars and one is post-Star Wars. In fact, Dark Star in 74, who's uh, directed by John Carpenter. And John Carpenter, like, kind of at the start of his career. It's kind of like a student film. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then we have Ice Pirates, which is 
not really the the start of anyone's career per se. <laughs> <laughs> from the man who brought you Mac and me, what would you expect? <laughs> and, and and Tammy and the T Rex, which yes. I, and Mannequin 2. <laughs> on the move. Yeah, that's right. An illustrious career. What I, found was. Was I, what I found ironic is Ice Pirates is a space movie. Of the three descriptors on IMDb, not one of them is sci-fi. <laughs> well, and I think we'll get to that because I, I read some interesting uh, commentary about it. It makes perfect sense because I even made that comment to you, Bill, but we'll get there. Ice Pirates, yeah. It's, uh, it's swashbuckling sci-fi silliness, but... Uh, and then, and again, well, I'm going to have to kind of blame Jackson, I think. I Jackson or Matt, I don't remember. One of you mentioned something on Twitter. It was right after Joe Bob was showing Tammy the T-Rex. And I, I don't know if he showed a sequence of the, of the Ice Pirates, but I just saw Jackson put, Dad, we have to watch Ice yes, Pirates. Yep, yes, at which point yep, I insinuated yep. myself and said, come on, Phantom Galaxy, and we'll also throw Dark Star in on the on the mix. I don't know why that movie popped uh, into my head, but they seem, they seem congruous to me. <laughs> absolutely. And I actually saw Ice Pirates in the theaters when I was 12 years old. What my parents were thinking, I have no idea. You're like the third person to say all of those three things in a row <laughs> ending with what were my parents thinking well and i'm glad i stopped because i was thinking back to it my memories seen on television i'm like ice pirates and then i realized that i was i was combining with a couple other movies and i was like oh wait this is pg but and i'm glad i did not watch that one with my kids <laughs> yes yes i think that was the right choice yeah. So what I think we'll do is actually start with Dark Star, uh, mostly so we can definitely make sure we get that one in and don't spend like 40 minutes on the, uh, you know, the physiology of space herpes. And then we don't get around to talking <laughs> Dark Star. So it's probably better that we start here. But I thought, you know, again, kind of significantly, I think that you uh, these are both lower budget <laughs> movies. Ice Pirates didn't start low budget it started with a 20 million dollar price tag believe it or not but wow that got that got whittled down this time it, did, it didn't start production with a 20 million dollar price tag wow and uh so we'll talk about that dark star is i thought i saw a number like sixty thousand dollars or something like that or six hundred thousand dollars they, they sure the didn't budget. spend it on a ball <laughs> so let's start with dark star because again it's come it's 1973 and it's only a handful of years after 2001 a space odyssey i've seen a couple posters for dark star that call it the spaced out odyssey on the, on <laughs> yeah, the that's, sort the, of the, that's the imdb tag. poster yeah yeah so i think that's clearly what and then when you watch this it is sort of like the ten dollar version of 2001 a space odyssey in some ways it's it, it's it's maybe more a combination of 2001 and uh dr strange love really if you want to get down to it mm -hmm. but let's go ahead and start and actually uh before we get into any of the real details about uh you know the, the film and its history we can kind of just set up uh the plot and whatnot uh jackson or matt do you guys want to start off with dark star you're gonna ask me to explain this plot <laughs> you can just you can just cite the events and we can explain it afterwards <laughs> I mean, if you can write a 50-page paper on an obscure language, you sure yeah. can do it for Dark Star. Oh, man. Okay, I have references for that. Um, this, <laughs> I, well, it's a... So, essentially, we're in the future of the 23rd century, I think, and they're sent out, this crew is sent out to destroy unstable planets so that stable planets can be colonized. And so they have this ship, the Dark Star. They've lost their captain. Um, the ship is breaking down. They literally have, quote unquote, smart bombs 
that you could have discussions with, um, along with the um, a female version of HAL 9000 from, you know, 2001. And so they're going from planet to planet. They've been out there for 20 years, though somehow they've only aged three. I'm not sure they really, Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter really understood what Einstein was saying. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and so that's what they're doing. And by the way, one of the crew members um, has picked up an alien life form, which he thought was cute, which turns out uh, to be somewhat malicious, uh, even though I've had cats that were worse. And it's a basically a large beach ball with uh, claw feet and... Do I need to say anything else about Dark Star? That's about it. <laughs> nope, I think that was it. actually what was submitted uh, as his thesis statement when making the film in college. Probably <laughs> yeah. that Carpenter was like, here it is. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, man. No, I think that kind of that, that actually sums it up. And yet it doesn't exactly prepare you for kind of the experience no. the movie is because it's very, very strange. And I remember see it's an interesting thing because I would imagine most of us probably saw some John Carpenter movie before we saw this one. I um, I definitely didn't see this one first. I saw uh, the thing and Big Trouble in Little China and you know tons of them Starman even even they live and then I think I got routed back to this one and one of my family members was like oh you have to you have to watch Dark Star. And they kept playing up the monster to me, I think, as a joke, you know. So here I am watching a movie from, you know, and Dan O'Bannon's involved, too. So here's the guys who brought you Alien and The Thing. And then the, you mm-hmm. get to this scene where he walks in to find the monster. Oh, we have to like, talk wow. about Dan O'Bannon before we're done. You want to talk about a strange guy. Well, and I think, yeah, and, and some of that comes through here in the performance. And I think yeah. we could kind of talk about this interesting thing about this production it is. It's written by John and Dan O'Bannon, and they were they were film students at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was originally uh, Carpenter had the idea. Then they were working it out. And Bannon says the ending, which is kind of unique in its own way, was copped from Ray Bradbury's story Kaleidoscope. I do remember that story. It's in the short uh, story collection, The Illustrated Man. And you can kind of the whole tone of the movie is like a very sardonic take on. You can easily see this as a short story, a very sort of droll sort of short story you mm-hmm. might see in a pulp pulp magazine like Isaac Asimov or Analog or something like that. And so that's not surprising. It's surprising. I, what's interesting about it, probably particularly at the time when it was released, is just how sort of um, drab and, and, and dirty and sort of ugly it oh. looks inside of this ship. I mean, it's it's pure squalor, and squalor was not really a thing that was a major element of sci-fi at the time. You know, I was thinking about this. <laughs> this movie's probably, and you guys, you guys will probably be able to cite me other cases, but this is one of the first movies I can think of where you basically have the schlubs in space, right? You know, look yeah. at even 2001, there's still this idea of this is the best of the best are going up into space, and these are the elite. And then you look at movies Alien and Star Wars and everything later where, you know, you've got intergalactic riffraff basically or or the working man you know the, the the space truckers and things like that and there's a dirty drab sort of feel to alien in a sense and but i don't know that there was much of that in science fiction films anyway prior to this you know they were mostly the elite kind of uh neil armstrong-esque you know kinds mm-hmm. of characters or they were the dashing space flash gordon-esque space ace kind of people so here's uh, Dark Stark Star comes along, and these guys 
work in a spaceship where they have what three inches of room and between each other and they can't even toss the manual without hitting the guy in the middle in the face <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's graffiti and it, when they go into their makeshift you know uh bump, right. there's graffiti i was like i was watching it today saying have i ever seen a movie where a spaceship has graffiti well and it's and it's in a just like a squalorous hole because as you point yeah. out they're their original bunking quarters broke down and they've never bothered to fix it. And at any point, radiation could just immediately seep into where you're sitting and kill you. And, and the, the characters' names are great. You have Doolittle and Pinback. And Pinback is the Dan O'Bannon character and who seems like he's perpetually stoned, even though they don't know if there's any drugs on that ship. And he's constantly worried. He's like, the guy who was sitting next to me last is the one who died of radiation. Well, there's... That one guy is smoking a roach, and I kept thinking, where is he growing that in 20 years in space? That's true, yeah. Well, you know, they remembered to bring the rubber chicken along, too, you know. But But I don't think think we can get too far into this without talking about that theme song. Oh, Oh, Lord. Yes. So that's the thing. So Carpenter does his own music again. (laughs) Is this on any of John Carpenter's anthologies? Jackson, I know you're a big, you listen to a lot of John Carpenter music. Is that theme song on any of his anthologies? Not that I know of, but this isn't in any of his collections either. I mean, this is not this is not one he's still promoting. But uh, I I like the music. It's brooding. It's it's odd. It's creepy. That opening song, that, that, yeah. that yeah. Don't even try to insult Benson, Arizona. I put that on my Spotify playlist right after hearing it. I loved it. Benson, Arizona, the stars in the sky, or whatever it is. It's nonsensical, sure, but that when you hear it in the beginning and then at the end, it brings a nice sense of closure to the whole yeah, thing well, yeah, it brought me an unpleasant sense of nausea but go ahead Jackson's goal is to make it a meme by the end of the week it'll be on TikTok yes. Benson Arizona is going to be the new top sound on TikTok but it make it, it made sense because if you think of it if it's if they're literally like space truckers then that song is appropriate right right yeah because I mean they could be driving yeah. through Benson Arizona in their 24 wheeler or something you know that and John Carpenter grew up in Bowling Green Kentucky so oh did he oh, okay oh yes he did he's singing that song too right <laughs> is he really I don't know I think it is right who is singing I, that oh, song? Man. he wrote it but I don't think he sings it um, okay I wasn't it, even aware that it well was he wrote the music movie. somebody else wrote yeah. the lyrics I saw okay. that okay all right but, but uh, anybody listening who doesn't know who Dan O'Bannon is He's a, a famous writer. He, like, I think he has three acting yeah. credits, three or four. But, I mean, he wrote films like Alien, uh, All of the Aliens, Life Force, Return of the Living Dead, Total Recall. Like, his, yeah. he's, a, he's a prolific writer. But he was also known as a complete whack job. Oh, um, I don't know anything oh about him. Oh, Lord. He had, now, I feel sorry for him. He died of complications from Crohn's disease. He was never physically yeah. well. Um, he was only in his 60s when he passed. Yeah, and... But if you read the book, I think it's Shock Value that talks yep. about Carpenter and O'Bannon's friendship through college. And after they made Dark Star, Carpenter took him to lunch and basically said, I never want to work with you again um, <laughs> because he was he was odd. And so, for example, when Jackson and I covered Return of the Living Dead with Beverly Ashley and I watched the the making of it and all this other kind of stuff. The the actress who plays the girlfriend in Return of the Living Dead, the one who's waiting for her boyfriend who ends up trying to eat her, um, she said that when she got the call for an audition for Return of the Living Dead from Dan O'Bannon, that she went to his house. He requested to be at his house. 
She knocks on the door. He opens it. He's shirtless. He has a pistol and a holster on, <laughs> and he's playing hardcore pornography on the TV. Oh, boy. So, so today he anime. could be a politician. <laughs> or yeah. a Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> or a Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like, just described uh, so many different people. <laughs> yes. He'd be a senator. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was a weird guy. And Carpenter was like, you know, they were friends through college and they did this together. And when they were done, Carpenter was like, yeah, I'd, dude, I'm out. And I mean, people told him he should have sued him for Alien because they co-wrote Dark Star. And let's face it, Dark Star is basically the direct influence for Alien. And Carpenter was like, I don't even want to be in a courtroom with the guy. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I, I just noticed that O'Bannon also wrote Screamers. Did you guys see yeah. Screamers? Well, uh, he's he's kind of credited for some things. Like I think it's is it yeah. Dead and Buried that he's credited with? Dead and Buried, which is a good movie. It I, is a good movie, yeah. but he he even actually said that's not my screenplay. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, the final the final product. Yeah, and when him. you say Screamers, you're talking. There is an old eighties movie, but you're about the ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah, yeah. I have a soft spot for that movie. It's kind of you know, I just like Peter Weller. I think so. But that's an originally a Philip K. Dick story too. That Screamer. So I oh, don't wow. know. It bleeders. There's a direct to video classic. Mm. Ninety seven. <laughs> I see that on his. I didn't even. I, I didn't even want to look up the one called Hemoglobin. I don't, I don't know what that's I think that's about. the same movie, actually. Oh, is it? <laughs> I think, okay. uh, he was I one so, yeah. one more thing about Dan O'Bannon real quick. Um, if you go back and you watch or read about it. So was it Clue, Gall- was it Clue Gallagher that was in Return of the Living yep. Dead? Was the- mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, Dan O'Bannon, he got so mad at Dan O'Bannon, he chased him around the set with a Louisville slugger. Wow. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. Then no one could know. They were just having this screaming fit. All of a sudden, he grabbed a bat and started chasing Dan O'Bannon. Wow. I remember he did work on Heavy Metal, too, that he was part of. Yeah, the, he did. He wrote a couple of the stories. Metal, yeah. uh, yes, a couple the of the segments or whatever. Yeah. yeah, he did. But it is it is definitely interesting to consider that, you know, Dan O'Bannon, who goes on and works on Alien, and then carpenter who goes on does many things including the thing you know and where where there is that both of those films obviously have that element of people in kind of the working class in a scenario where they are kind of locked in with one another and locked in with a kind of uh external threat there's several external threats right. in dark star and they don't so, like each other either and they don't like each other yeah they're uh, although i would i almost feel like this is this ha- takes the cake for passive aggressiveness <laughs> In terms of yeah. like the way these characters are, you know, the guys in the in in Alien have kind of developed a sorting a certain camaraderie with one another, where they just sort of like, okay, everybody's cool to a degree. And then the thing, you know, there's that stir craziness that gets amplified. But in Dark Star, it's just like you 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 wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys got up with a knife and stabbed the other two to death. Exactly. And you would think exactly. it would be O'Bannon. Oh yeah, absolutely. But and then. The, Go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, the other thing I noticed is digging into it a little bit. Of the other two guys, neither of them did anything. That Drew P- Dre Pahich guy, like he's got two credits. He's done. Yeah. Uh, Narell, I think he had five or six acting credits, and then he's done. So this uh, evidently scarred them enough not to <laughs> continue. Well, did if you, you notice... look at the supporting credits of the ca- of the crew, Nick Castle's in there. Yeah, I saw Tommy that, Lee yeah. Wallace is in there. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Nick Castle is the alien. <laughs> that's oh, what it man. says. Credit as alien. So <laughs> is he bouncing around? 
I, I don't know. I don't know how much. That'd be interesting to know because I mean that I don't. I don't know if I buy that. Plastic and helium played that role, but <laughs> um, but did you see in the credits that it looks like John Carpenter is voiced or is credited as the voice of Talby? Yes, who's the guy yeah. that's up there? So yep. the so the so that actor wasn't even speaking or not in the final version anyway. <laughs> Which is just well, crazy. This was, I don't know what, you know, Nathan, you were talking about the budget. I don't know what the end budget was because, you know, it started as a student film and then, you know, they kind of expanded it out. But I know the initial budget for the student film was only $6,000. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think they, they gradually got money, obviously, as it went along. Yeah. $60,000. So I was right. Okay. Yeah, $60,000. Can you imagine making a film for $60,000 no. and not at this point? But and, I, I was looking at the guy that was from Mission Control. The guy, remember that video at the beginning? And he, yeah. He yes. Miles, you guys are doing great in the trades. Yeah. Guys, yeah. Miles Watkins. He shot 15 episodes of The Commish. Really? Yeah. Nice. Oh, wow. A couple episodes of L.A. Law and an episode of Northern Exposure. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so let's it, let's get into this movie because... Trying to like, I just want to hear everybody's thoughts on it because it is it is such an oddball movie. And when I first put the movie on, my wife looks at me and says, "Do you really think the kids are going to watch this?" And I said, <laughs> "I have no idea. This is a true gamble. I'm not going <laughs> to." And they did, and I was actually a little surprised that they stuck with it. But I have some thoughts on that. But Jackson, do you want to let it tell us what you thought? Was this your first time for seeing Dark Star? It was, yeah. It was my first time seeing it, and I'm about to drop a bombshell here. I loved it. I know that we're 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 all like, oh, it's silly and nonsensical, and low budget. I loved this movie. It's very similar in my mind uh, to Clerks, to Kevin Smith's Clerks, in that it's a low budget movie. It's got you know at times amateur acting. I would say all the time amateur acting, but it's endearing, you know, and the fact that O'Bannon and Carpenter made a feature in the early '70s, a sci-fi feature that for the most part looks pretty good Um, in 1974. It it also reminds me a little bit of Peter Jackson's bad taste in that it's a bit goofier and cheaper than his later movies, but it's still equally as entertaining. And that's what I found with this one. Um, It it also reminds me a little bit, it reminds me of a bunch of things, but in the way that it's kind of like the first act isn't really structured, it's just kind of like various vignettes of them on the, on the ship. It, it kind of reminds me of the all, like off kilter kind of comedic style fear and loathing, which is one of my favorite uh, movies. So there was lots to love for me in, in this one. Um, I think as it goes on, it gets better. Definitely the, the third act is the best. There's some genuine tension there, um, but it is a little silly. Um, it's definitely not as masterful throughout as Carpenter's later movies, but I mean, they shot this with, like you said, $60,000 um, at UCLA's, like a room in UCLA, basically. They shot everything in a room. So very impressive, I would say. Hmm. Was this shot with one of those <laughs> Super 8 cameras? <laughs> I think it was I, uh, 16 millimeter, probably. 16 That's millimeter? what it looks like. Well, Jackson, I love you, buddy. But first of all, it was USC, not UCLA. Oh, you're gonna right, get yourself, right, right. You're going to get yourself in trouble in Hollywood mixing those two up. UCLA was, um, I was, um, I was thinking about... Um, uh, Coppola at the time was at U- UCLA. I think stuff. Coppola was at UCLA and the rest mm-hmm. were USC. And that, I was watching the behind the even the two stuff. to mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not my least favorite 
Carpenter movie. That would be wow. Ghost of Mars. Not <laughs> the um, uh, Ghost of Mars, The Ward. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, I'm really not a big fan of vampires either. And part of that is because I read the book and the book is so much better. Yeah, I, I'm with reason, you, Matt. I, I mean, I think it's okay, but I was very disappointed when it came out. I, yeah, I didn't. But a- anything else by Carpenter, I either love or at least enjoy. Well, maybe not Memorizing of Invisible Man. But, I mean, the, typically from Assault on Precinct 13, you know, all the way up, even you know, Village of the Damned, I, I, I kind of like. It's not a great movie, yeah. but I do kind of like it. Um, but I find this one kind of befuddling. I mean, I don't, I, <laughs> I, it's just, you don't really connect with any of the characters, or at least I didn't. Um, I think it would have been a lot more interesting if there hadn't been the bouncing ball and if they just would have been dealing with the computers and it had been kind of like a little bit more spoofy of 2001. Whereas in 2001, you don't really know at that time what, how is doing, but here, if the computer and the bombs were going through like some kind of existential crisis or something like that, um, I think that would have been more interesting than the rest of it. So yeah, I I haven't I have only seen this twice. I watched it um, this uh, today, and I watched it back in 1985 on VHS. And so it's only two times I've seen it, but I don't really care for it that much. I, I want to interject briefly and say that we do get that existential crisis, you know, c- computer yeah. thing. We get quite a bit of that with the 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 missile and we the, do, the but I just don't think we need the the beach ball thing. I, I that's enjoy what I meant. that because that leads to my actually one of my favorite um, scenes. And I know Nathan, you like to ask about favorite scenes in movies, but um, you know the the elevator shaft scene that extended like I think there's genuine tension in there and lots of comedy as well. I kind of like that in the way they shot that with the mirror on the floor making the elevator shaft with the ship. <laughs> Though, with the ship malfunctioning, though, you could have had the elevator scene without the, the I, beach ball thing. Maybe, but I, I kind of enjoy it. I don't know. It's just, um, I, 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 but and I also love how uh, anticlimactic the ending of that is, where he just kind of, just kind of deflates, and he's like, "It was filled with gas." I find that really funny. I don't know, and uh, and I also like the part where he, he's got the little squeaky mouse, and he throws it to, him and he's like, "Idiot," and then he, he goes, and then it's gone. There's some good comedy in this, I think, and knowing that possibly Nick Castle was inside that beach ball makes me love it even more. <laughs> well, well, talking about that elevator scene, I did write down uh, one of the quotes when he's kind of stuck with the ball. It, it came over the PA. Attention, attention! Please clear the shaft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great phrasing Bill was there. Gonna, Bill was uh, gonna notice that. Yeah, of exactly. Course he would exactly. <laughs> oh man, Bill, what did you think of this movie? You know what? I actually gave it a six out of ten, just because it's not. It wasn't a great film. Don't get me wrong, but I found it enjoyable enough. I think it's one of those films that if you're marking papers or you're doing mundane work and you have it on in the background, this is the kind of film that this is good for. If you're going to be doing one where you want to look at stellar writing or stellar acting, no. But it's it, you do kind of want to see how it ends, and that's kind of how you have to stick with it because. You really don't care about the story, to be quite frank. But you do, you want to see the, what the end result is. Does the ship get blown up? Do they get saved? Do they just go to another planet? Whatever. You want to see how it ends. And that's why you finish it off. 
I'm going to challenge you on that, Bill. I think the writing in this movie was pretty good. I'm going to go that far. I'm going to say that. I like how stuff is set up. There, there are lots of quotes I wrote down. But, but the main thing is it's all kind of circular. I like that earlier stuff that seems just kind of like humanizing talk. Come, become comes around for the finale you know the surfing thing and the phoenix asteroids oh, or whatever oh, i quite like that i oh, think that's oh, fun the surfing thing oh Lord. but that's the tone of the movie <laughs> when you have the beach ball and the and the, the recreational thing with all the pornos yeah. on the wall or whatever that's established that tone is established and i think that the surfing thing is not out of the out of the question as far as this movie goes. That's just what it's going for. And I Jackson, think some... you know I love you and I appreciate your Eli Roth enthusiasm. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I Don't think back this down, is better Jackson. than any movie. This is better than any movie Eli Roth ever made. I'll say that right now. Oh, let me throw my hat whoa. in here. I like this better than Cabin Fever. I'll whoa, say that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, well, let me read you these lines. My first favorite is, now it's time to go sleepy by, you worthless piece of garbage. That's great. I would get that on a t-shirt. And then I love Doolittle's line when he's talking to Talby in that observation place. He's like, uh, Talby's like, you know, I, there's a malfunction somewhere, but I can't locate it. And Doolittle goes, don't worry about it. We'll find out what it is when it goes bad. And that's my attitude about everything. That's my They're kindred spirits. I think that Ode- O'Bannon wrote some good wrote some good stuff here. There are some good lines. And the, the whole thing with Commander Powell, that whole scene is haunting, I think. It's, it's kind of creepy. Um, and John Carpenter voices uh, Commander Powell as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's lots of great stuff in here. Um, and I honestly, I like, I find this just as entertaining as Alien, as the first Alien. I won't what? say it's good technically. What? I was just as entertained <laughs> oh, by I it. I love this. It's an hour, 23 <laughs> minutes long. Hour, 23 minutes long. I loved it. I would watch it again today. Oh, my Lord. It's not a I bad movie. I can't even believe you. No, I mean, but I... Oh my gosh! If you look I, at the making of Alien, even Ridley Scott had to clean up Dan O'Bannon's, you know, thoughts. I mean, Ridley Scott made that movie. I mean, but uh, how could uh, that's? Oh my gosh! That's, that's what like I'm, saying, that's what I'm going with. I'm 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 sticking to my guns here. I loved it, and I watched. That's the like saying I enjoyed stuff. Plan Nine from Outer Space as much as Citizen Kane. I mean, are no, you kidding me? That's not. Come on. You, yes, you, it is. Do you enjoy Dark Star? No. You don't enjoy Dark Star. Not really. Well, then I can't. Then there's no way I could convince you, so I'm going to save my breath. You have have special effects that look like they were created on a Commodore 64. Oh, Um, could you have done any better in 1974? Could you have done any better in 1974? Early 1974s. With $6,000 or $60,000. Exactly. Come on. The model work looks pretty good. George Lucas did. I mean, with THX 1138. In 1977, with more of a budget? No, no, no. THX 1138. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Prize winning movie critic said that this is a fun movie and a bright and intelligent one. And then well, it bears yes. few signs of having been made on a he, low budget. He had built some of Bill's gummies before he saw it. And, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right? But, but this is, no, it's that the acting is terrible. The special effects are god awful. Dad, one um, of your favorite movies of all time is Friday the 13th Part 2. Come on. <laughs> 
Which is amazing, by the way. It has great special effects. Thank you very much. The splintering of the father and the son. Brought to you by Phantom This is where the podcast ends. Right. This, this is our Dan O'Bannon right. and Carpenter gotta, moment here. I, I, gotta, I gotta take a break to rewrite my, rewrite my will. And I'll be back. Anyway, I, I thought you said rewipe. You got to go. He's going to go make one of those video diaries like Pingback was making in the... It is on a chalkboard, to be fair. But anyway, um, no, 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 no. Look, are there things about this movie that are impressive for the budget and the time and so forth? Sure. But there are other movies that were shot at this time for a low budget that are more impressive, better special effects, frankly, better cinematography. I think that one of the reasons John Carpenter became John Carpenter was Dean Cundey. I think that Dean Cundey's cinematography helped make John Carpenter John Carpenter. Um, and so he doesn't, you know, have all that. He, you know, yeah, he's got Tommy Lee Wallace. Yes, he's got Nick Castle. You know, um, I'm sure reading shock value and other kind of stuff that there was a lot of beer and weed involved, you know, behind the scenes because that's who they were. Um but I, I frankly find it kind of boring. I don't find it that interesting. The only parts I thought were interesting were where, you know, the space truckers or whatever they are, space bombers or whatever they are, you know, are talking to the computer or reasoning with the bombs, all that kind of stuff. Other than that, I just thought it was boring. I actually made a comparison in my notes between this and Dust Boot. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And not and not comparing wow. the not comparing the quality of filmmaking in, in no way, but if you watch Das Boot, it's like an hour and a half of monotonous living in on a submarine, and it's boring. And and this kind of made the same kind of thing. It was monotonous robotic living on a ship. Yeah, and that's what I loved about it. It felt you know very it's immersive. a heated conversation when I haven't even given my thoughts yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. I want to hear you, Nathan. Come on, come on. We need a therapist in here. Come on, jump in. No, I'm not going to help anything. I'm on Jackson's side. Uh, oh, yes. not Jackson's side to the point of it's as good as Alien or anything like that. Um, I, although, 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 I never I said ag- as good. I said as entertaining. entertaining. I get as much okay, entertainment value out of it. I, I, although I will, I'm going to go with Jackson that I enjoy it more than most of Eli Roth's movies. Although I love Eli Roth as a person and listen to him talk. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think one of the main problems, well, there's many problems with the movie. It's obviously not a perfect movie. I was astonished that my kids stuck with it, but I think they stuck with it because of the quirkiness, because of the, the beach ball creature and things like that. To me, it, it, it doesn't really work as a story, but it works as a pastiche mm-hmm. of all of these sort of spoofs of science fiction ideas that these guys had come across, probably books and things that they were reading from Einline to Bradbury to Asimov and obviously 2001. And they're just sort of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. You kind of, if you appreciate it at all, you're not going to appreciate it for being as tightly uh, constructed as Halloween or as suspenseful as The Thing or as just downright creepy and as grotesque as Alien. But when you take it as kind of like, again, when I was looking at through that lens of almost like Dr. Strangelove, that very droll sort of humor, I do think a lot of the movie is pretty funny. And I I think that some of 
what Carpenter does in later movies, it's that the, the kind of, again, the schlubs in space, you know, you go on and you see schlubby characters like Jack Burton and all these characters who pop up in later Carpenter movies and like characters and they live and things like that. Like they've kind of evolved from here. These characters aren't interesting people, but they're barely anything more than the guys that are playing them. You know, uh, to me, the comedy stuff mostly works. And I think that the beach ball is kind of ingenious when, any move monster you would have made for the amount of money they had was going to look stupid. So when they decide to make it a literal beach ball, and I, as a kid, and I had forgotten the moment happened, I laughed so much as a kid, and I laughed so much yesterday with my kids when he kills it. After he kills it, and it just explodes, and he literally picks up the busted beach ball, and he's just holding right? its eye in his great. hand. That's a Monty Python-esque moment right there. I mean, it's it's not except, meant to be taken Except seriously. Monty Python was funny. Well, and again, I think it's the thing. There's no accounting for humor. It's hard to say what one person finds funny, one person doesn't. I, I found the part funny where he's the, he's logging his information in and he's like, oh, by the way, the other part of the ship blew up and we lost all our toilet paper. That's all I have yeah, to say. I, and then I did like that part. I did like that part. I did like that part. I, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's a total disaster. I'm just saying that I don't think Carpenter's ever made a total disaster. I mean, even... You know, even Ghosts of Mars has decent cinematography. I kind of like if that movie had better special effects, I'd enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, but it, it, uh, the casting needed work too. But yeah. anyway, but and the casting here is a big problem for me. These, I know you can defend this by saying, yeah, they've been out in space for twenty years. They no. seem so bored, and I mean, just <laughs> as actors, they seem bored. Not just as characters, they seem bored. As actors, they just seem like. Oh, good Lord. When are we going to cut? They just, they don't seem interested in their parts at all. See, uh, I, I don't know. I definitely don't think there's great acting, but I, I, there does seem to be a sort of kind of gleefulness, not almost in seeing how despondent they can be. But again, a lot of what's happening in this movie is about, you made the clerk's comparison, uh, mm-hmm. Jackson. And I think that's an apt one. I'm again, if a lot of what's happening in this movie, you see stuff like this done for better or worse. I'll give you that, Matt, for better or worse in right. a lot of indie films from that point on, these kind of dissipated characters. When he goes into that room and starts playing that musical instrument that he's playing <laughs> together with like oh, bottles. Yeah. I, love I love all that kind of stuff. It's just so weird. Yeah. And that's my every every four or five minutes, uh. I get the kind of Terry Gilliam comparison there. Every four or five minutes, something absurd is happening. And that's what kept my my kid's interest would be like, oh, wait, this weird thing is happening. Wait, the captain's still alive, kind of. And I, you know for one, I... love the surfing moment. <laughs> <laughs> Me oh, too. Here, uh, Bill, do you have something to say? I was just going to say, I wrote down, the last note I put was, you know what, Talby gets sucked out, and he's I'm getting taken away, and he gets... And he keeps talking. And I actually kept listening as he was talking. Yeah, me too. And as he's talking, you never find out his final message of what he wanted to tell Doolittle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I was, so I was, tell Doolittle, and then he goes away. Who knows yeah, what was, he wanted to tell him? It could have been earth-changing. Who knows? Maybe. Get me I was off reading... the set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Could have been, I love you. Could have been, I left the iron on. It could have been anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was reading the subtitles. I actually thought that part was pretty cool. He's like, he mentions earlier that the, the Phoenix, I don't know, the Phoenix shower, asteroids. Phoenix asteroids, whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, he says that they come around every like 7.5 trillion years or something like that. And when he's floating away, 10 point trillion years, which by the way, the universe is, is less, is like yeah. 9 trillion years old. So right. I mean, billion years old. So 
you have a problem there. But anyway, but um, how and they he measured says, that. And he says, um, he says, I'll come back around to the spot in 10 trillion years or whatever. And I thought that was kind of a nice moment. Uh, I don't know. I, I really like it. There are oh, little boy. moments like when Penback sits down to record his little video diary. Um, and it's like all uh, gestures and expletives <laughs> will, be, will be removed. And then he's like telling a story. He's like, so I walked I up like to that. him. That was pretty I, fun. I walked yeah. up to him and I said, hey, hey, and I... And it's just like a bunch of like, and then it just like completely like takes the screen off. It's like gesture uh, bleeped or whatever. And then the he pinned back yeah. is like, oh, by the way, I'm not even pinned back. I'm just some that's, guy who got into the suit. The best part. <laughs> yeah. Pinned yeah. is dead, by the way. I'm just some guy. I, I, I actually did like that part. That yeah. part was pretty the good. Whole video, yeah. he, because the whole video, because the guy's like, what's my first name? Like, the yeah. <laughs> it's just a quirky uh, film. I think you take the. The problem is, it's the John Carpenter, na- I think, name on the t- the the tin there, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's there. You're expecting it to, and it, it it just isn't. But I think a lot of his creativity, a lot of the stuff that he does later on. I mean, he doesn't have perfect special effects in some of his later films either. It's a lot of ingenuity. There's a lot of ingenuity here. There's there's a there's a lot of risk to say, can we make the beach ball work as a monster? And they <laughs> and and it takes a little bit to come up with some of that stuff. So I mean. I enjoyed it. I can't. I don't think it's in the league of any of really any of the other movies, the, ex, minus some of his later ones where he just wasn't trying. You know, I sadly, at last Carpenter's yeah. last couple of movies feel like Gun for Hire as opposed to well, I actually guy who think, wants a story to tell. I would like your guys' opinion on that. I I, I have this um, opinion. And this is I've had discussions with some people who you know, I never I've never met John Carpenter. Unfortunately, he's one of the people I wanted to meet when I was in L.A. and never got to meet. Uh, but then of course he just goes to Lakers games and plays, you know, video games. Um, he never leaves his house, but I've heard people who've been around him basically say that when the thing tanked, it really ripped his heart out and that he was kind of phoning it in from there on out, that he never had the edge he had with Halloween and the fog and escape from New York and, and the thing that, that he kind of lost a little bit of his edge because he was almost afraid, you know, to push it too far after the thing tanked so badly. And he really thought that was going to destroy his career. Uh, do, you, do you, what do you think about that? I, well, I, I don't think, I don't, I think that the, that's probably ultimately that feeling of the failure is probably true. I just mm-hmm. don't know that it happened after the thing, but that may be because of an 80s kid, one of my favorite movies of his is Big Trouble in Little China and Starman, both which obviously come after the thing. Right. But I think that shortly thereafter, because none of them are like kind of after Christine, none of them are really big hits. Like Big Trouble in Little China technically bombs too, you know? Mm-hmm. And then They Live isn't a big financial hit either. And then Prince of Darkness is not at all, you know? And I think all of those movies are good. Are they as good as as those first couple? No, but I mean, who makes Halloween and the thing? You know what I mean at all? It has movies sure. of it, that it, level on their resume. But I think after that. that, after that, having so many kind of because those are all sort of original movies, even if they aren't hundred percent original. You know, Big Trouble in Little China, and these movies do stand the test of time. Now they are considered cult hits which you know carpenter has been quoted as saying where were you guys when this released <laughs> right <laughs> like what do you <laughs> it's great that you love it now but what about yeah. back then with the exception of maybe starman because i think his casting was so 
point on in yeah. Starman. Uh, I mean, he had such a great cast. You can't go wrong there. And it was a good script and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but after that, he doesn't really have the cast consistently that he did before. He did such amazing things in Halloween and The Fog and Escape from New York and The Thing with his actors. They just seem to be just giving really great performances. I would, I would argue, you know, you know, if you look at Donald Pleasance in Halloween and then you go and you look at Donald Pleasance in Prince of Darkness in Halloween, he's giving a, a very good performance. That's very subtle at times, but you know, he kind of goes over the top just a few times, but then Prince of Darkness, when he's playing the priest in there, he's chewing the scenery like crazy. And it's almost like Carpenter just letting him go. So much fun, though. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's just... Pleasance I mean, in general screaming. was kind of there at that point, though. Like, if you look at almost any other Donald Pleasance, like, performance from that time frame, they're they're all like that, really. Sure. But I don't know what you're saying. None of those movies had Carpenter at the... At the exactly. Helmet. It's not yeah. John Carpenter going, okay, okay, Donald, let's let's try it again, but let's, let's dial it down five notches, you know? No, and yeah. I don't think he was getting the budget either. I mean, when the thing and Halloween come out, I mean, he's like, he's a hot shot Hollywood up and comer. And then by the thing, uh, not by the thing, by They Live and Prince of Darkness, he's kind of, he's the horror director guy, right? Yeah. He's, oh, yeah. Oh, trust me. I, I mean, yeah. when people would ask me, you know, when I moved out to LA, they, oh, you want to be a director? Well, who are your favorite directors? And I'd say, well, like Hitchcock, John Ford, David Lean, John Carpenter. And I'd say John Carpenter, and it's like I farted at the dinner table. <laughs> you know, they look like, what? Because this is like 88, 89. Yeah. So this is post Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, which in the industry's mind all tanked. Right. But there are some of my favorites. I mean, I love oh, everything I love about too, Big Trouble in Little yeah. China. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nobody's mentioned Village, uh, not Village, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which I really like that one. Now, that one I think is actually underrated. I, I, yeah. I agree with you, Bill. Yeah. It's a good movie, and it's kind of going back to some of his sensibilities from early on. But I mean, it's just very hit or miss. And then he's basically just making almost he might as well be making direct to video schlock after a certain yeah. point, like around village of the damned, which has a sum of a budget, but it's not, you know, it's not huge. And it almost feels like a TV movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, Memoirs of an invisible man. is just, I, that's almost like a, like his name's on it, but there's no, I don't see any of him in that movie. Really? Maybe the yeah. special effects scenes, but I've seen that movie and I never knew for years that John Carpenter directed it. Yeah. And, but to be fair to him, that was like, and this happens with studios. Yeah. Studios will love to take directors who have had success in the past, but have had some bombs, get them cheap, and then push them around. Yeah. And that, according to John Carpenter, that's what happened on, on Memoirs of the Invisible Man, is that the studio was constantly just, no, no, no. They had notes every day. You got to change this. You got to change that. And he hadn't actually worked in like four years. Yeah, and he had the albatross of Chevy Chase, that era Chevy Chase wrapped around his neck. So. Yeah, that didn't help you. Yeah. yeah, that didn't help. Yeah. But I mean, and then you get into, you look at Vampires, Escape from L.A. and all those movies. And I oh. and there's things I like about all those movies, but they aren't, he's not even getting the resources. It's almost like he's back to Dark Star budget. <laughs> in some yeah. Ways, but 
Yeah, it is. And it's a shame. And I, I, I always got excited to see his movies in the theater. I've seen everyone in the theater as long as I could. And I remember going to see Vampires and thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. Because I had read the book. Oh, me too. And the first five or ten minutes kind of are. Oh, it, it, but the one thing, Nathan, they cut out that from the book that I thought would have been so cool, and they don't do in the movie, is in the book, they all put on chain mail yes. with, with UV crosses. Yes. On them. I remember thinking, oh, that's going to be such a cool scene when you see these guys you know, clad like knights with UV crosses, storm into a house. I thought, man, that shot's going to be fantastic, Dean Kundi or not. And then he didn't do it. I was like, what? Yeah, I had the I had the experience of reading the book after the movie, which was good because I didn't see any of that coming. But the book the book is more satirical in a way. Like it's a yeah. it's kind of a comedy. It's you know, it's a it's taking a lot of shots at the church and a lot of shots at you know. Uh, consumerism and stuff like that, and the and vampires, the Carpenter movie is just a straight, you know, Saturday yeah. directed video action movie, really. Yeah, I agree, but well, I just, you know, and I'm, I'm doing all this because I just don't want to talk about Darkstar. <laughs> well, we're kind of, I guess we're <laughs> but, but I, I was going to say, what made him think Ghost of Mars would be any good? good really? Question. And he wrote the he wrote the damn thing. What yeah, he wrote it back think? when it was called uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Well, keep in mind, he doesn't always, you know, he doesn't always have the best ideas. I mean, I put this on our Facebook group. I've been reading Taking Shape 2, um, which is a book about the unmade Halloween sequels. And if you really want to hate the Weinsteins even more, just read that book. But one of the things, John Carpenter tried to actually get back into Halloween. He sold his rights to Halloween back in night to Mustafa Akkad back in 1987. He said, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. But then in 1990, after they live, he couldn't get a job. And so he went to Mustafa Akkad and he said, I've got an idea for a Halloween movie. And his idea for the Halloween movie was Michael Myers in space. (laughs) See, he was ahead of his time even then. It was before Leprechaun, before Pinhead, before Jason X. (laughs) He said, here's what we're going to do. You can't kill Michael Myers. The government realizes you can't kill Michael Myers. They try to electrocute him. They try to gas him. They try to do it, and it, nothing works. So they know they've got to shoot him into space. And then he crashes into a space station, and he goes on a rampage. What do you think? And Mustafa Card was like, John, I've loved you for a long time, but that's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> just wait. Just if you would have just waited five, maybe ten years, <laughs> it would have happened. Oh, yeah. What would be great is if he comes around the corner and had to distract him by sending a beach ball alien out. <laughs> yes, yes, and they they crash into the dark star. That's what it is. It's Jason uh, on the oh dark star. Well, that's how one. that's how the toilet paper was destroyed. Jason crashed into that. <laughs> Michael Myers destroys the toilet. Or Michael paper. Myers, yeah, yeah. So apparently, oh, Nick Castle has gotten a chance to sort of, in a sense, play both William Shatner and a and a monster from the original Star Trek series. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, guys, let's do ratings. Uh, 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 I was just going to say, so oh. he went he went from not being able to do that to into memoirs of an invisible man. Uh, unfortunately, somewhere in there, yeah, somewhere yeah. In there, yeah. Okay, it's a ratings. same. Yeah, yeah, ratings. Oh, let's go, Matt. You go first. I can't say that I don't want people to see this. I mean, it, it, it does have some good scenes, like the one Jackson 
brought up. I mean, that's pretty hysterical, you know, when he is, you know, they're deleting his expletives and all the <laughs> other kind of stuff. That That's a great scene. I thought the scene where, you know, he's out in space and he's talk, talking to the smart bomb. I thought that was a great scene. It, there are some good scenes here. You the can computer has to keep see. talking the smart bomb down and tell yes. it to get back in the ship. Yes. 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 I liked that scene. So there are scenes here I like. I would come down the middle. I'd say it's a five out of 10. I would call it a one-time watch, a low priority. I mean, it's on Amazon Prime and Bill. It's on Tubi right now. So <laughs> you, I, I would say stream it, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rush out to buy this. Okay. I, I wish you didn't give it a negative rating. That's what I'll no, say. No, I, I, I'm coming down the middle. Five out of 10. Mm-hmm. I will go and I will give this a six out of 10. I liked it slightly more just for the quirky humor, but not for the actual storytelling. I found it interesting enough, but not that interesting. But here's the one thing that made me shake my head. When that ball was bouncing around (laughs) and O'Bannon is fighting it with like a $5 Walmart broom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where the heck did this ball get arms from? It starts hitting them with the I know. I know. I know. It's hysterical. It and and, then, about, and then about five minutes later, you see these arms. Uh, was that just a spur of the moment thing? That was where Nick know. Castle. That was in the Castle part. <laughs> 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 oh. Folks, I'm telling you, weed was involved in the making of this no. movie. It was 1974. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. Weed. It had to have been yeah. some pretty darn good acid to get this thing. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Weed was involved in walking up the steps wherever you were in 1974. <laughs> that was opening a door with weed was involved uh, in 1974. Especially at USC, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm a 6.5. I, I, I kind of want to okay. give it a seven just to spite Matt, but uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it, it, everything is on both sides of the thing. As an overall movie, I don't think it's entirely successful, but it, it's so, it's very charming. I like thinking about it. I liked watching and I like those moments. Can you imagine if those moments had been built into a movie of the caliber that Carpenter was making just a few years later? I mean, if we'd probably have a legitimate, a real cult hit on our hands. I think what we have here is a, is a kind of uh, wannabe cult hit. Yeah. But was this an actual, was this a student film or was this postgraduate work? Started as a student film. And it, it eventually got to a point where they were able to get yeah. it into theaters and stuff. And as a drive-in movie, it's fun. I love how the spaceship would just stop, dead stop. Yep. <laughs> it just, boom, it's yeah. just sitting there against the backdrop of nothing. Jackson, how about you? I'm going to drop a bomb here. I'm going 9 out of 10 on this one. <laughs> I, uh, I, I loved it. I would watch it again. I'll watch it again tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a dark I'm, score. I'm driving to Dayton tonight to give you a urine and blood test. We're going to get this to the bottom of this. Okay, I will, I will. You do have to give it this. Do you remember the scene where they're in like, there are a lot of scenes here that influenced other movies. Alien, obviously. Like yeah, yeah. But do you remember the scene with the knife? Yes, yes, and he's like like Bishop. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I love it. He just stabs himself in the finger and stops, and he just digs it right in. (laughs) Yes, yes. I so there. Yeah, I mean, this obviously was an influential film, and I'm trying really hard to look like a good parent and make people forget my son's rating right now. 
I um, love that you gave it a nine out of ten. I think uh, that's anybody... actually higher than I gave two thousand and one. It is. <laughs> wow. <I was> about <laughs> to Gosh. Well, I give I give two thousand one a ten out of ten. If that makes All any right, difference, well, that's good. But, Woo. Woo. Oh, yeah, but let, let's just say okay. Um, uh. I don't think anybody's going to be mad at me for the nine out of ten. If I had given it a three out of oh, ten, oh, I, then I am. Have, are you really mad <laughs> no. that I enjoyed this movie, Dad? <laughs> enjoyed? No. You're a hater. Nine out of ten. You You're a hater. That's all you are. <laughs> I gotta like my stuff. Oh man. Okay. This is what I mean by Eli Roth. Kind of is it? Eli Roth thinks Mother's Day is a masterpiece, yeah. and he thinks Orson Welles movies are are crap. So I mean, Tarantino's that, the same way I mean. on stuff. It's like that's true. That's the innocence that's is true. garbage, but loved Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter or whatever that junk was. So I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nine out of ten. You try to raise him right. That's all you can do, Matt. I know. know. Hey, Nathan, I thought you were on my side. I am on your side, but I also just like to play the... (laughs) I like to play the room. Anyway, no, I think... I I love that. And I, you know, my kids at the end, they were like, we liked that a lot. That was a lot of fun. And I said, what was better, that or the thing? And they looked at me and said, I like both. And I was like, uh, we're going to have to watch the thing again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do like exactly. the thing better. I give yes, the thing yes, a 10 absolutely. probably. So, Well, the thing, the thing I, I went back and forth about showing it to the kids. Ultimately, after rewatching it before I watched it with them again, I thought, came down the side that it's, a lot of it is just really goopy special effects. And they really <laughs> like that. But it also sort of sickened them at the same. I'll have to send both of you shots of, I did a reaction shot of my daughter watching the blood test scene. It's <laughs> a series of, of, oh. of faces. And as soon as it was done, she said, I need to see that again. I think I saw it hop out of the, <laughs> I, need, I need to see it nice. hop out of the Petri dish. So nice. I, I, I just Ugh. read the, I just read a bits of the trivia on IMDb and take it for what you will, but this will talk about the budget. The space helmets used were part of ideal toys, star team toy line produced from 69 to seven or 68 to 71. The helmets are obviously sized for children, as is evidenced by the poor fit. (laughs) (laughs) This just makes me like it even more. Tell us about the muffin trays, Bill. Do you see that in the truth? No, the double double rows of large buttons on the bridge consoles are ice cube trays illuminated from beneath. (laughs) And the spacesuit, the the interface on the front of the spacesuit is a muffin pan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just makes me love it even more. I I love that kind of stuff, like how in Clerks, I was talking about Clerks earlier, that they had to come up with the reason why the shutters were closed because they're filming at night, but it's supposed to take place during the day. So they just said somebody shoved gum in the locks. They're like, we need a spacesuit interface. Just have a muffin tray, duct tape a muffin tray to it. I love that kind of stuff. That's ingenious filmmaking. They made the best of what they had. Nine out of 10. That's Dark Star. Yes. Uh, when he's apparently... hanging out of the elevator and you clearly know that they're pulling him like on a cart, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. just yes. Apparently there's an indie rock band called Pinback. <laughs> named right. themselves after the I character. like the name. I like. I liked all the names of the characters. Like Pinback. It just. He gave you that. We just don't give a crap attitude. Uh, look, I have. I. I just have never been a weed smoker, so I just don't get this movie. I'm a little worried about my son right now. Um, I, I can actually say, growing up in the '80s from the TV commercial, you didn't learn it from me, Jackson. Um, I. <laughs> Well, we've given we've given Dark Star an hour of our time, so let's go. <laughs> yes. Yes. It deserves. I was going to say one more. Ron Cobb drew the Ron Cobb drew the original design for the Dark Star ship on a napkin while eating at the International House of Pancakes. 
I'm surprised that the Dark Star design wasn't just a gravy stain on a napkin. Because <laughs> it's got about that level of, you know, oh, it, it just looks like my, it looks it looks about as sophisticated as my son's, like, uh, Pinewood Derby racer. Well, oh, that, that transitions nicely into our next movie with the land speeder in that. Uh, yes, but, well, let's, uh, the last thing I want to say, I do think the interesting thing about a movie like Dark Star is... Its influences are coming from, yes, 2001, and also older science fiction movies of a certain ilk. And then it is pre-Star Wars. So then when you have Star right. Wars come out, and then you have everybody from Roger Corman to, you know, uh, Disney trying to sort of uh, replicate Star Wars. And they just, you know, they aren't getting it. And so about the best you get for most of the... The remainder of the 80s are movies that are just fun Star Wars ripoffs, you know, like the, the <laughs> schlock Star Wars for the most part. Uh, Jackson, do you want to set this one up for us? 1984's Ice Pirates? I would love to. Uh, let me. I think this will put it into words better than I can. And I love how uh, amateurish the IMDb summary is. So I want to read it to you. It's like it's like it's like some random guy just wrote it, which I guess I would have to. But in a distant future, scarce of water, space pirates get caught after stealing ice from a spaceship. They are sold to a princess looking for her dad. He might have found a planet abundant with water. And that's the entire summary. Uh, yeah, this this movie is just as rushed as its summary would suggest. Uh, we go from one planet to another like like crazy. We have no idea where we are. And I'm going to go ahead and say I loved this one too. Uh, but then again, I have a soft spot for like bad, I, and I wouldn't even say this is bad, but cheap uh 80s sci-fi movies i even love uh space hunter adventure in the forbidden molly ringwald and ernie hudson jared was it a metal storm the destruction of jared sin all that yes the greatest names in the history of cinema in this era um (laughs) i love all those and and to a certain extent this one kind of sets itself apart because it is an, an intentional comedy um, even like mirroring later on in, uh, I think, 87 Spaceballs, there's that whole alien spoof with the space herpes. It seems like Spaceballs <laughs> kind of took notes from uh, from the Ice Pirates, if you can believe that. But uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoy this one. It's kind of like Flash Gordon. It's a little bit more intentionally comedic than Flash Gordon. It also has, I would assume, less of a budget. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Yeah, I um I hadn't seen this since it came out in eighty four. Since nineteen eighty five, I think I'd seen it for. So it had been uh, many a year. What impressed me about it, uh, and having said that, I don't remember much of anything from it the original. So what impressed me about it, it doesn't have a lot of money. You could tell that, but they actually had a pretty good deep cast on this. It was a really good ensemble cast. I mean, you got Robert Urich. Everybody knows who Robert Urich is. Well, basically anybody who ever was on the love boat well, <laughs> <laughs> is in this cast. That's true. You got you got Mary Crosby, uh, more love boatish. She was mm-hmm. also in um, Freddy's Nightmare, the TV show. Uh, you got <laughs> you got Michael D. Yeah, you got Michael D. Roberts, who actually a couple years ago was in A Star Is Born. Yeah, uh, I didn't yeah, realize that right. either. That is right. Yeah, uh, you had Angelica Houston, who's been in a bunch. Last time I saw John Matuzak, he was playing for the Raiders. But yeah. uh, 
Uh, he was in Goonies. He, I don't think he's acting anymore, but you would see him in that time era show up in a whole bunch of stuff. Well, I think he's dead. Right? Right? Hintick is dead, right? Oh, yeah, is he dead now? He passed yeah. in 89, so that's why he was only oh, 38 right. years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, yeah. he would show up in like an episode of Webster or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Ron Perlman. Everybody knows Ron Perlman. He was in Caveman, too. <laughs> oh, oh, John Carrot. John Carradine looked sickly in this film. Like he's just, yeah. yeah, he looked awful in this. But even Bruce Valanche, I knew Bruce Valanche. He used to be on the uh, Hollywood Squares when they redid it with uh, yes. Davidson. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize. Like I looked into Valanche. He's an Emmy winner. Uh, oh two-time, yeah, two-time yeah. Emmy winner for writing the sixty-third and sixty-fourth Academy Awards. Yep. And he also won a Cable Ace Award for doing, um, oh, the comedy. Um, those comedy where they used to raise money in, for the, those, those comedy shows, comedy relief, yeah, yeah, comedy the, relief, the ones yeah. with uh, yeah. Billy Crystal and yeah, yeah. So, the, so the guy was obviously very talented, and you could tell he had a blast in his role that he did. But yeah, that's what impressed me the most: the cast more so than the story itself. And Ron Perlman, of course, you know, in yeah. here, yeah. Beauty John and the Mat- Beast. John Matuzak actually died of drug overdose. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. Probably as a result um, of all the steroids. No, no, it was actually no, it was cocaine yeah. and yeah, and pain oh, pills and stuff like that. Drugs. Yeah, yeah, and but yeah, Bruce Valanche. If you want to, I'm not a big fan of of quote unquote corporate podcasts because they just typically have people on there who are trying to pimp whatever you know they're yeah. starring yeah. in right now. So I just don't care for that. And I, I know Hollywood well enough to know if you're pimping something, you're not going to tell the truth. Um, so I don't, I don't really like that. The one exception to that is Gilbert Gottfried's podcast because <laughs> he has a lot of people on from like the sixties and seventies and early eighties. And they talk about people who are long dead. He also just and doesn't so they, care. Gilbert. No. Yeah. Gilbert care. doesn't give a crap, <laughs> which is odd because I've met him several times and he's really like a radical introvert. Um, yeah, he's really, an interesting guy. I saw him at a comedy club one time. He's interesting. It yeah. Was, he's just really shy. And really small, right? Yes. He's like 5'5". Five, yes. five. He's teeny tiny. And he's like 5'5", five, five, 120 not pounds. Not the parrot from Aladdin. Like, that's not no. like how he is. Like, yeah. No. And that's not even his real voice. No, if you hear no. him actually talk, he doesn't use that voice. But, you know, it's one of the reasons I love his podcast is because they don't go into that BS. And he's had Bruce Valanche on his podcast. He was a great guest. He's a character uh, Bruce too, yeah. He is. I mean, he's talking about, you know, all these people from the 70s and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, I can't remember if it was him or someone else. He was talking about Hollywood Squares. And if if listeners old enough, they remember when Hollywood Squares, one of the constants on Hollywood Squares in the old days was Paul Lind. Yep. Yeah. Paul Lind was the voice of Templeton the Rat uh-huh. in Charlotte's Web. Um, Paul Lind was also, unfortunately, a notorious alcoholic. And so Paul Lind, he tells the story. I think it was Bruce Valanche was telling the story. Either that or Gilbert Gover is telling the story to Bruce Valanche, something like that. And he tells the story that Paul Lind is driving home one night to his home in Beverly Hills. And he wrecks his car into a ditch. The cops, of course, in Beverly Hills, there's a cop every, like, half a mile. And so they pull up and they automatically recognize him crawling out of the car and say, Mr. Lind, are you drunk? He said, of course I'm drunk. What do you think I am? A stunt car driver? (laughs) (laughs) But I wondered, uh, Matt, if you ever came across Valanche in your days in Hollywood. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, 
but I I think he's great here. I, I he's got I remember him from Hollywood Squares. I remember him showing up and all kinds of stuff in the seventies and eighties. And so I saw Ice Pirates in the theater when I was twelve years old. Uh, it was PG. My parents at that time, uh, a friend of theirs owned the theater. It was half a mile from our house. And I was allowed to see anything at that time, if it was PG or below. And so I went to see Ice Pirates and I loved it. And and I still love it. I cannot say that it's a good movie, but it's an entertaining movie. And this may be a case of C&D, um, as Gilman Joel defines it. But seeing Robert Urich and Mary Crosby and Bruce Valanche and all these people, I just thought, and Angelica Houston is in this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Underhused. I mean, she's got like only like a half a dozen lines, maybe. I was going to say barely enough to catch. It's disappointing because you really feel that she would have had a really, like you could have gotten a lot more from her because Houston is, I mean, she's a great actress, but she's also awesome at chewing up the scenery in a camp like dialed to 11, you know? Well, yeah. Other, I mean, she's got that great sword fight, but other than that, she's underused. Yeah. yeah. The other actor in this that uh, hasn't been talked about is the guy that played Lanky Nibs. Oh yeah. Uh, Robert Simmons, uh, Simons, would say S Y M O N D S. He's been in a lot as well. And he's probably the 15th person on this. Crew. Yeah. You have Ian Abercrombie too, yeah. from army of darkness. Oh, Mr. Oh, Pitt, Mr. Pitt, Jaime, yeah. Mr. Pitt. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the cast is great. I mean, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s and watched TV, um, basically, they're all here. If you've seen, yep. you know, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, whatever, anybody who's ever been on that is here. And I, I remember watching Spencer for Hire with my dad <laughs> yeah. growing up with Robert Urich. And so th- th- Robert I Urich cast him. young, too, 55. Yeah, Cancer, wasn't yep. it, I think? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. And at this point in his career, what had Ron Perlman done? Like he hadn't done Beauty and the Beast yet. Quest no, for not Fire. Much. Quest. Yeah, because he looked think, rather which is a skinny. Fun movie in its own I'm right. not used. I'm not used to seeing him that skinny, but he looked quite skinny in this film. Yeah, I think he was just at the start. This was a year. It was about two handful of years before Beauty and the Beast, which was kind of his ticket, sort of. You know, like to the extent yeah. that he had one, since he still kind of remained a cult figure most of the time. But yeah, Name of the Rose only... was a few years later. He's only 5'11", according to what I'm looking at. I always thought he was much bigger than that. Oh, yeah. It says all he had done before this was Quest for Fire and yep. a couple episodes of Ryan's Hope. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Did, Doesn't yeah. seem like him, but yeah. 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 He's always appeared bigger than life to me, but yeah, he's 5'11", so he's... he's You're right. Yeah, you kind of... He always me. seems yeah. like... The, maybe they just... Put him around a lot of other shorter people. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> or, or, or he's got Gene Simmons boots. That too, yeah. There was that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, certainly that in some of those movies. I mean, certainly, you know, when he's in like some of his films, for better or worse, when he and he's and Perlman's talked about this. You know, some of his original casting roles, they cast him because of his features, and he had those sort of features that, like, oh, we can turn this guy into a monster. You know, so like Hellboy and Vincent and some of those characters, they were meant to look big and tall and imposing. So yes, he probably does have some lifts or something. I would guess so. And I loved him in Hellboy. And I, I love Ron Perlman, period. I loved him in Blade, Blade 2. I thought he was great in. City of Lost Children, classic. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I even liked him in Alien Resurrection. I don't like the movie, but I like him in it. I kind of like the movie. (laughs) Do you really? I like it. I like it the same way that Jackson likes Dark Star. (laughs) 
All right. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I like. Right. I didn't like it when I first saw it, but I like it as kind of like the just. I like it better than Alien Three. I think just because it's so off kilter it's not a do i wish that it had been a different sequel i do but if you're gonna bring yeah. if you're gonna bring ridley ripley back from the dead resurrected and cloned out of her own womb or something with a drop of blood and then you're gonna bring all this other stuff into it you might as well go wacky and it sort of does i mean i don't think yeah. it's a good movie but it definitely it, it goes for it it looks great like uh that the same it, director it, who it, did city of lost children made that film and it looks great and it's got a great cast. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's got, you know, it's got Brad Dorff in it. It's got, you know, Dan Hedaya's great... in it. It's like, yeah, yeah, bunch of people. Yeah, it's like got a Wink great Rock. cast. But I have a, a rule of thumb. Um, unless your movie is about basketball, if you have a basketball <laughs> scene in it, you're in trouble. Yeah, like Captain you know, is so escape, weird. escape from LA, yeah, Alien Resurrection. Yes, Jackson, you're right. So any yeah, you're in trouble unless your movie is a basketball. Unless it's white man can't jump or Hoosiers, <laughs> and you have a basketball scene, you're in trouble. Right. I did like, I like Sigourney. It. I mean, I just liked that the she was back, and it was completely yeah. absurd that she was back, but I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, look, it's got a great cast. Ron Perlman is great. I like him here. I, I don't, you know, I haven't seen him play that kind of character and like he does in the Ice Pirates that often. I mean, he's usually the heavy or he's the depressed kind of, you know what I mean? Like in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, he's know. either the sensitive soul or he's kind of the the big, uh, you know, he's either really the bad guy or he's the gruff guy who's secretly a softy, you know, and that's exactly what he's And here he's to. just. Yeah, here he's kind of what is he's he's the cook, yeah, you know, who doesn't know he's serving up space herpes, and you know, or whatever. I mean, he's it's a different role for him. I kind of liked him in it. Yeah, I did too. I like I like the movie in general. I, I agree. When you had said back when we had talked about this is how it all comes full circle. When we talked about Flash Gordon, and you made yeah. the, this is one of those so bad it's good movies. And of course, in the Flash Gordon episode, we got into it where I was arguing that. I think Flash Gordon's a just good movie, you know. But when you were talking about the so bad it's good, I thought of Ice Pirates. I was like, no, Ice Pirates is the movie yes. that qualifies. Because I think a lot of my Ice Pirates is legitimately, like, trashy. Like, it's either oh, trashy yeah. by lack of budget and lack of or lack of uh, ability. Not necessarily the actors, but the director not knowing exactly what to do or how to do it so they just do it anyway and see if it worked out there's a lot of scenes in this movie that feel almost like they were improvised but i'm sure they were not uh yeah. but then it's mixed with goofy humor and some weird sci-fi ideas that kind of work or or at least could work like the time distortion thing that happens towards the end of this movie yes where they yes. meet their son and i'm like <laughs> i kind of think that's cool they tried something like that in that garbage lost in space movie they did in the 90s it was yeah. awful but this was kind of interesting even the space herpy is a far better joke than the dancing alien space balls in my opinion oh yeah i saw this movie and i went home and and i'm sorry listeners the average age of listeners here i'm sure um there used to be these things called encyclopedias before <laughs> the internet <laughs> And I was 12 years old and I looked up herpes. I knew there was no such thing as space herpes at 12. But I looked up herpes <laughs> in the encyclopedia because I was like, okay, that's terrifying. Were I there mean, pictures? I know, I know, <laughs> at, that, at that time, I was like, I know what sex is, but 
Is a creature actually going to attach itself to my back and start sucking my blood? I mean, good lord. <laughs> right, what was this, brain damage? Um. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. So Yeah, I no, I love this movie. It's got a great cast. It's not a good movie. It is so bad, it's good. I, I, I just have fun watching it. I watched it with my wife the other night. My wife actually hates most comedies. Um, <laughs> and she hates science fiction. And she watched this with me and she kind of chuckled a couple of times, but she kind of looked at me and she goes, you know, this is so stupid. It's kind of fun. It It is. And, you know, I said something to Bill the other day. I had not seen it probably in about the same amount of time Bill has since the 80s. And I was, I mentioned to him, I said, you know, what was weird the experience of watching it is it doesn't come off that much like a Star Wars spoof. I mean, right. uh, it, it doesn't come off, or a Star Wars ripoff, it doesn't really come off like a sci-fi movie. It felt like a, more like a satirical take on Captain Blood or one of those old-style yeah. pirate films. And it's interesting that in the, the uh, I think it's a Wikipedia, they mentioned that the 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 writers and directors they had they didn't watch star they specifically didn't see star wars and they based this around the crimson pirate which is an older pirate film and mm. so the a lot of the jokes and a lot of the style of the movie and how it just like jake jackson mentions they go from one planet to the next to the next you know in a pirate film that would have been headed from one <laughs> island to the next city to the next place to the right. next place it's got that feel of a of a freewheeling kind of pirate swashbuckling adventure movie and i think that mostly works for it i i do kind of uh it's always funny when you see this amount of not that it was a ton of money but when they spend this money to build these sets and these robots and stuff and and what they get for all their efforts it just looks like a big cluttered hanger you know what i mean it's like, it's like <laughs> well, these how many sci-fi uh, movies they spend this money and it just looks like a big junky garage even even some of the scenes of the original star wars at least they they play it up and they're actually in the trash compactor you know in star wars <laughs> well, what what's the story nathan you said it, the budget started higher than it actually was well the from what i was reading the budget was like 20 million and then i was this mgm at the time that the film was made they were having a lot of uh issues with like uh financial issues and so they cut the budgets on i want to say uh they were in financial difficulty so they the bankers put a limit of eight million dollars on all films so at that point the guys that were trying to wow. produce it because so the script is from the writer of crawl which you can kind of see you know, right. <laughs> so it was called The Water Planet. It was the original movie. It had a $20 million budget and they were aiming for Star Wars all the way. But then they couldn't get that. So they got the $8 million. It made it $14 million. I, I guess once you add in trying to market it, that's not really a hit. But still... <laughs> It didn't. It didn't yeah. make less than nine million dollars or eight million dollars. Well, back then they always used to say that the marketing budget was the same as the production budget, which means they spent eighteen million. Yeah, which means it lost four. Because I remember hearing that it was a flop. It was definitely a flop, but it wasn't a flop yeah. on the. It wasn't a like Ishtar it, level it, flop no, or something. No, like that. not yeah. Heaven's Gate or no. anything. No, no, no. Uh, no. But MGM had a contract with Robert Urich to make a TV series, and so they were the same kind of thing that. We've, you were reading a lot of those stories in the Taking Shape books where the studios got got a contract, so they're going to jam this person in wherever they can put them. And yep. they insist on him being cast. Now, to be fair, Yurik fit in just fine. I liked him in it. You know, I could I it, really liked yeah. him in it. I think he's got a great kind of Tom Selleck, he does. You know, That's a great, Harrison yes. Ford kind of thing. Yeah. And he never really nope. kind of cut loose in a lot of the other things I've seen him in. It's fun to see him just having fun here. 
yeah. I, I I got a little bit of a uh, road warrior. Oh yeah, there's some of, of that vibe, too. Kind of vibe in that, especially sure. with that big um, desert vehicle. And the what like, like hey, the space? What are they like? Uh, prairie dog thingies or whatever that pop up. Yeah. <laughs> the... yeah. <laughs> now, am I going to be the only one that brings up that really cheesy lovemaking scene at the end? Yep, you are. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are, Bill. But no, but the reason I bring it up is the the lines were so bad. I actually wrote them yeah. down. Passion. Oh, wow! wow. <laughs> you wrote them down. Wrote them, and I actually forwarded back and forth to get these lines down because I, I was were, like, "Your anniversary's oh, coming up. I need to memorize this stuff." He was pure studying. Gold. This is pure gold. He was studying. So he takes he takes Mary Crosby and you know has his way with her in front of this simulated scene in the background, some <laughs> storm or something, so storm of passion. <laughs> yes. And so they're you know they're making love, they're getting they're close, and then she goes, she goes, he goes, should I th- think I should take my saber off? And she says, <laughs> she says, let me. And then he goes, she goes, you feel so stiff. Your belt, I mean. (laughs) I remember that. Well, let's talk about the scene where earlier in the movie, he almost gets a saber taken off earlier. Yes, the redesigning process. What's the redesigning process? For a PG movie, that's a pretty horrific, like, idea that he's going to be reprogrammed. Yeah. And they tell him on the way, oh, they say it's painless. And I'm like. How is that painless? <laughs> it's just like a bunch of rusty blades on a. Yeah, a it's, it's got jaws. It's, it's like chomping down. And then oh. there's this movie is so. This movie is if this movie is PG, I would hate to see like. A, I like, know. R. I was like, I was like, this is well, not like, come on. Was, like, there's a pimp before, robot too. Was this before uh, Goonies or not Goonies? Um, this was Gremlins? the same year, '84. Gremlins? So it was right same okay. year. It probably snuck same right year. in. Oh man! Yeah. And what about all that? I felt like I was back in 1984 with all that funky pop tune music yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah they're all like wearing jazzercise outfits. I thought I was like, watching like heck? um listening to like Yaz or something playing. Like it was <laughs> it's Kaja Gugu. Kaja Gugu was playing yeah. in the background. It's a strange movie. It's like in the weird limbo world between Barbarella and Galaxina. <laughs> <laughs> But but I did write I did write down. I wonder if Spaceballs took this as a bit of inspiration. Because I mean, it was only what two years later, three years later, three years later, three yeah. years later. Yeah, because there are some parallels. You know. I mean, I like Spaceballs, but as a Star Wars spoof goes, it's kind of lazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. Yeah, it, it kind of is. I, I I think Mel Brooks got kind of lazy in the eighties and nineties. But I I you know with Ice Pirates. Ah, man, I, when I saw it in the theater, I just remember walking out thinking, first of all, space herpes. Uh, I, and I may mention that three or four more times for a quick second. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Crosby is hot. Um, Bing Crosby's daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bing Crosby's daughter. Yeah. And, and three, I just thought, I thought Robert Urich was cool. And I thought the supporting cast was good. That's the thing is, no, this isn't a good movie. I don't think technically you can defend this as a good movie, but it's got a really good cast. I think it's fun. I, the special effects are terrible. But at sometimes the, the special effects being bad actually work for its favor. 
unlike Dark Star Jackson. So we're like, you have the, you know, the ch- when they're on the they're on the line and the chompers are going yes. after their, yeah. you know, their man bits. That's hysterically funny. I I love it. I love that stuff. But they like, also she... those those chompers look like they were made by some grade tens in shop class. Like oh, they're the yeah. cheapest yeah. looking. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that's the thing, right? It's yeah, like we don't care. What you know, would you expect them to less. look like in this particular yeah. movie? <laughs> oh, man. oh man. So let's do mm. ratings then for Ice Pirates, which I think is a better movie than it probably has any right to be, but not necessarily yes. a good movie. It would make a great double feature with Tank Girl. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was, yes. I was, I, was I, like, thinking, I like Tank um, Girl too. I'm not uh, ragged on it. I think it's a fun kind of goofy, not good movie, but charming. Well, I was thinking of those early '80s Roger Corman, Galaxy of Terror, and well, even yep. more Battle Beyond the Stars and stuff like that. Battle you know, Star- Beyond the Stars, yes. Star Crash. That's got a lot. Of, that's got a lot of cast from the Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Yeah, as that's, well. that's the one with John Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and which one is it? Oh. Star Crash that has David Hasselhoff in it. Oh, does it? Oh my one of gosh, them. I haven't seen that. So one of them. Yeah. And then there's the one where the spaceship has breasts. I think that might be Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> oh, what, what was wow. the one that had um, uh, the girl that said uh, Joni? Joni from Joni Loves Chachi. Oh, that is. Um, is that uh, the Corman one? Um, not Galaxy of Terror. Is that or... Galaxy? Because Corman did something two of them. Like that. He did two of them, kind of like back forbidden. Back. He did is it Forbidden World, Forbidden or Planet, Forbidden. Yeah, no, forbidden not Forbidden Planet. Forbidden like Planet that. was is the oh, yeah Galaxy of Terror. Galaxy of Terror, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I gotta look that up now. I yeah, because I think they're both on Tubi. I mean, Roger Corman's only made a thousand movies. It should be easy to find them, right? Uh, of course, it's on TV. <laughs> I've actually never seen it. It's one of those ones that I'm waiting till uh, uh, till Nathan says, "Bill, let's watch this one." He also so did Space a... Raiders with uh, with Ray um, Ray Weiss, which is also another uh, what you call it. Is that Ray Weiss in it? Somebody's in that. Space Raiders is another one that's like it's just Dick Miller, of course, is in it because of course Dick Miller's in it. <laughs> Dick Miller. Um, actually, I don't think He's Ray Weiss was in that one. He's in a different one, but all those sorts of movies. I have a soft spot for most of those really like cheapoid movies, and this one, Ice Pirates, is not as cheap as most. But yeah, Star Crash yeah. is the one with Hasselhoff. That was 1978, so it was uh, right okay. right on the butt end of Star Wars. <laughs> so Aaron Moran. Aaron who Moran. was Joni was yeah. in Galaxy of Terror. Yeah, Galaxy okay. of Terror. Okay. Yes. Because he uh, he did Forbidden. What was it called? Forbidden something or other as well. They, they were like within a year. One of them had Sid Haig. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sid Haig was in a lot of Roger Corman movies. It's like <laughs> yes. saying which 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 Roger Corman movie is Dick Miller in? It's like every other one. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. they all had wild cast. Like Star Crash has Carolyn Monroe, David Hasselhoff, Ooh, wow. Christopher Plummer. And Joe Spinelli. That's Spinelli awesome. in it. Christopher Plummer? Yes. Christopher, I was on what I said, Bill. I was like, which one of these Plummer? things is not like the other? You know, the, the man who played Macbeth was Oh, in and Star by the Crash. way, Star Crash is streaming on Tubi right now. Oh, <laughs> We're just going to have to do the Roger Corman episode, which is basically all our Tubi episodes are like that anyway. It's always just yeah. some crap Corman made. <laughs> 
It has a stunning four out of ten on IMDb. <laughs> you go right ahead, Bill. Cor- Corman's a guy. It's a wild, and it just shows that he just makes. He, he, what's he do? He makes movies, and he gets movies made, and that's about it. He does. But then he's got movies. You look at it and say, "That's that's a legitimately good movie." And you'll find that he made it the same year as a movie that looks like the worst thing that was ever I know. made. <laughs> I know. But if you I see love it, the the Joe Bob quote about interviewing Roger Corman. He's like. Joe Bob said the first time he interviewed Roger Corman, he said, how do you feel about you being labeled the king of the B movies? And he was like, I find that offensive. I don't make B movies. I make A movies. I make movies. Movies are movies. He said, well, what do you think about calling them exploitation? He said, oh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. But then if you see him in things like Frankenstein Unbound, you see the man could direct when he wanted mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at the, I mean, he, like, it's uh, the Edgar Allan Poe stuff and everything they worked on. But yep. he just yeah. it makes movies. It's like they, the Ron Perlman, he's he's an actor. He said, it's not rocket science, I'm an actor. They asked him, well, yeah. why are you in these movies? He said, what can I say? My wife likes her shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My favorite quote, you know, they asked Michael Caine why he was in Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> you know, and he said, what well, one, we were filming in the Caribbean. Two. I haven't seen the movie. I hear it's terrible, but I've seen the beach house it bought, and it's very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad one. Michael Caine, Michael Caine, Christopher Plummer are both guys. When you look at their wide resume, it's like they 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 were great actors, but again, they. Uh, I think it was you, Matt, said on the Flash Gordon episode was he was somebody was talking to Caine, and Caine told him maybe it was Vincito. He says, "Oh, don't worry, they won't blame you." <laughs> That's right. That's right. He said, yes. He, yeah. He said, he said that to several people. He was like, I don't know if I should do this movie. Of course you should do it. Are they going to pay you enough? Of course you should do it. They won't blame you. They'll blame the director. <laughs> and, and do we have to mention how many films Carrie Dean did? Oh, good Lord. How many IMDb credits does he have? So one of the awesome things about Carrie Dean. I, I heard one time that he had like one of the three or four largest IMDb credits. Three, 354. Carradine wow. was so prolific, he was in a movie 15 years after his death. Yes, <laughs> he was. Jack O. Yes. Jack O was his last. But you forget, like, you look at you look at all of them, and a lot of them are crap, but he, he was in Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh, you know? he was in a lot of great stuff. I mean, he was well-liked was by a, a lot of great directors. Yeah. And he was, yeah. in his day, he was a good actor. He's just another guy who... He, you know, some people, they don't get the opportunity, so they stop doing things. And other people just take the opportunities well, that are there. And he was also an alcoholic who was divorced like five times. And he was always yeah. trying to play, you know, pay child support and alimony. And so that played a part of it. But at the same time, Joe Dante uh, on his podcast talked about like when he was shooting The Howling with John Carradine, he would, Joe Dante would work the clapper, you know, for the scenes when there were shots with John Carradine, just so he could be next to John Carradine and hear him tell his stories and said, when he was sober, he told the best stories you've ever heard. And he was also in an episode of the littlest hobo. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Lord. Bill excited. Gotta bring it back to Canadian public television. Again. He has All like right. seven credits to his name in 1986. <laughs> he, the same year he did Peggy Sue got married. He also uh, did the tomb monster in the closet Star Slammer. Wow. <laughs> and then I love it. His last credit is in 1989, Buried Alive, and then Jacko, 1995. 
What a way to go out. And oh, he'd man. be a lot and like I, Cameron Mitchell in that he would do anything. Yeah, have you ever seen Jacko? Yes. It's awful, yes. but it's his role in that is akin to Bella Lugosi in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, yeah. I mean, this was the guy who was in he was in the Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Stagecoach. He was in yes. Stagecoach. He was in Stagecoach. Ten, commandments. In, Ten yes. commandments. Yes. And the cat creature and Terry and the he was also in and he was also in Dracula versus Billy the Kid. Yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it defies logic. It, it does. And in a movie called oh, Honey Bridges, where he, he plays was in... the judge of hell. That's all. I was going to say, he was in 1978's famous Vampire Hookers. You know, so famous. All the, the famous. famous. Everybody famous. knows about like... them. Yeah. Famous vampire hookers. Okay. Wow. His credits, I honestly can't name one. There's okay. like not okay. a year, there's not I... a year where he didn't make ten things. <laughs> no. Wow. But, Carradine, but, but yeah. I looked, I was gonna say I looked up Perlman. He's at 264 acting credits. He's getting there. Is he raising yeah, guy, like Lance Henriksen? <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Now, yeah. Ron Perlman's not a lot. I remember I really liked him on Sons. I, I've liked him in everything. I can't remember a bad Ron Perlman performance. He's been in some bad movies, but I don't. He always shows up and he does this thing. I even saw him in some really bad sci-fi movie about giant rats, and he himself was fine. You know, it was like he just showed up yeah. and he did his thing and he left. I kind of like yeah. him in that um, that goofy like Beowulf space movie. What is it? Uh, Outlander, the one with Jim Caviezel where he crash lands on a like he, oh I haven't seen Viking that one on Earth with Vikings and he and there's an alien monster and it's like it's like Jim Caviezel, John Hurt, Jack Houston, and Ron Perlman hunting this wow. monster. It's actually a kind of a fun like B movie. It came out like 2009. It's not bad. Are you telling me Jesus wow. and Hellboy take down a monster in a movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Along sold. with the Elephant Man. <laughs> or Hellboy's dad, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Ratings on <laughs> Ice Pirates. I think that's what we're reviewing. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah, like that. A, a we reviewed the 80s holes. and John Carradine's career. We pretty much <laughs> did, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, 6 for me. A 6.5 for me also. I, I will give it a 5.5 for Ice Pirates. Okay. How about you, Matt? I give it. Uh, I'll give it a six point five, and I will freely admit it's C and D. There's a lot of C and D here because I saw it in the '80s in the theater, and I love the cast. the The movie's not great. The special effects aren't great, but as a kid who grew up in the '80s, I I really like this. I just enjoy this movie a lot. It's better than Mac and Me and Tammy and the T Rex. <laughs> yes, much better than. Well, I don't know. I like Tammy and the Team. I do too. I like <laughs> I Tammy. Like it, but I like it for reasons that have like it, it's I, like an I, anti-film. I agree. I agree with that. It's a fever dream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about you, Jackson? Is are we looking at a nine point five? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was say, is this a nine? <laughs> but I will say, I will say, Dad, it's not a, it's not C and D entirely. This is my first time watching it, and I, I quite enjoyed it. I wrote down a few of the lines here I wanted to go over before we finish up. First of all, it's got that Flash Gordon thing where they just make up jargon, and it's really charming. Like <laughs> my coordinates are two eight three on the Iona projection. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and and uh, I love the line, "Your he is a she, and she thinks you're wonderful." I like that. Oh, and yeah. also, they have Tylenol in the Ice Pirates universe. Did any of you catch that? They're like, "I need a Tylenol." Yeah. Yeah, man. 
Tylenol. They have Tylenol. And then the twist. Do we want to say the twist is that, or is that a spoiler for Ice Pirates? Go for it. No, I think you're good. The the twist is that the seventh planet they've been searching for is Earth, I guess. So that's sort of like a Star Wars type thing. But why didn't they call that's it? That's a Battlestar Galactica thing. Oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, why didn't they call it the third planet? They call If they called it the third planet, that would have been a cool like payoff. Like, oh, third planet from the sun. That makes sense. Instead, they just say it's the seventh planet, and that like, number is never backed up by anything. That's just like a weird jargon thing in this universe. But well, you want that? Go watch the end of Zardoz. Yeah. <laughs> Zardoz. <laughs> Oh, so I put up with Sean Connery's thong. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't everybody love that? That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that must no. have been a heck of a thing to wear. Yeah, <laughs> you imagine him just cursing in Scottish accent about wearing that rubber thong. Oh, oh my god, it's riding Lottie. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm gonna give this one a six point five. Uh, I'm I'm right there. I think it's really entertaining. Um, but and I love the donkey. Too. We, had to, we didn't talk about the donkeys who were just there. Yeah, uh, they were great asses. In, uh, why are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the one time I can get away with that. Yeah, they're just jackasses in space. Yes. <laughs> Like, it's uh, not I'm, I'm as good as the, Flash Gordon, but it's good. I'm, go, I'm going over the trivia. It says Kevin Costner turned down the role of Jason. Eh, I don't blame him. <laughs> In 1984, what was he doing? I don't know, but he turns down the chance of starring the water planet only to make Water World 10 yeah. years later. He'd been a production assistant on Hell Night in 1981. Why is he turning he down said, the Ice Pirates? He said, I don't get to drink my own pee, no deal. I'm off. <laughs> Not in the movie. It says, after the pirates are captured, the spaceship approaches a domed city for landing. The same domed city sets were used in Logan's Run. I noticed that Logan's Run. Yes, that's so. They reused the stock footage. Yeah. But now, now this one made me laugh. Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek: The Original Series, once jokingly said that Ice Pirates was singularly responsible for bringing back the death penalty to California. <laughs> <laughs> That is crazy. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Gene, you are responsible for context. Star Trek 5. I would yeah, not. I would no not. kidding, right? No kidding. Uh, wow. I'll take five uh uh ice pirates over Star wow. Trek 5. So Same. <laughs> Is it just me or me did too. I miss Jackson giving this a rating. Did he just? <laughs> just I gave it a six point five. I'm oh, with okay, my dad 6. on this 5. one. We can right, agree on all, this one. We're all on the same six point five. Except for yeah. Bill went with a five point five. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson's right on this one. <laughs> but the, oh, it's a fun movie. It's kind of. It's, it's definitely fun. worth seeing. It is hard to find though. Like you actually have to pay for this one if you kind of want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then you have to decide if you enjoy schlocky movies i think you'll have fun with it but but you can buy i think i bought it on amazon for like six bucks and you know i i, I think it's yeah. worth yeah, it. yeah even the, mean, the digital it, copy was like 7.99 or something it wasn't like yeah it's good. not i i it was worth that like, it's worth that if you enjoy yeah, that kind it, of movie if you enjoy this kind of movie absolutely i'm just seeing right now it's it, it says here Max max boncito had a uh, small cameo as a bounty hunter. Really? Oh, I didn't see it. It says Max Von Sydow, who has a cameo as a bounty hunter, also had a small role in the sci-fi film Dune, also released the same year. Hmm. I didn't see him in this. I didn't see it either. I'm going to have to it's look gonna be for like him a, now. 
And I'm going to watch Ice Pirates a third time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> and you're getting on me about rewatching Dark Star. Come on. Oh, both, uh, both like, I think, like... to me, fun movies. They're definitely, I, you know, I don't know if anyone's perfected the sci-fi comedy, you know, uh, we we get probably better attempts at it now than we did. Galaxy Quest comes pretty close, I think. Yeah. Oh, I, I love, love Galaxy Quest. That's a great movie. Have you seen the documentary about Galaxy Quest? No, I don't think so. Is it relatively yeah, new? It, yeah. I don't know how new it, it's in the last 10 years, but it's on. I saw it on Amazon Prime. I want and to it's check great. that out because I that, yeah it's, like, it's great that between that and Toy Story is the only Tim Allen roles that I actually enjoyed him in. He's in it too. I mean, he's in it. Um, uh, uh, most of the cast are in it. Oh, Alan Rickman is so good in that. Everybody's going to oh, yeah. Tony yeah. Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell. Like, there's yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tony Shalhoub is. Oh yeah, I think Tony Shalhoub and Sigourney Weaver, if I remember correctly, are like maybe the only two cast members that aren't in the documentary gotcha. hmm. and it's, but it's really well done. Such a fun, fun movie. It's, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It, and I don't think anyone expected it to do to, to, to be that good. You know, I mean, honestly, no. Tim Allen was doing a better Shatner than Shatner. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's, they talk about that in it, but it's yeah. Sam Rockwell's in the documentary, you know, it's, Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, you got to check that out. I'm looking it up now. I will have to check that. Yeah, Galaxy Quest is a great one. I, I'm partial to Fifth Element, although it's just about as nutty as Ice Pirates is. Um, but yeah, so that's the episode. Uh, Matt and Jackson, thanks so much for stopping by. It's so much fun every time uh, you guys come over, and we'd love to uh, have you on again. And other anything else, Matt or Jackson, that you guys want to mention or talk about jackson you you do the shout out buddy uh obviously you can find father and son watch horror uh at father and son watch horror.com a really tough link to remember there uh you can find all the links from there uh my twitter is kane underscore hero 12 k-a-i-n-e underscore hero 12 you can find my dad at pastor matt r on letterbox and twitter and um yeah just hit us up we'll talk to you about uh, ice pirates we'll continue the conversation if you really want to torture yourself <laughs> further uh, we, can, we can talk about ice pirates and the tylenol logic and that i think i hear a puppy dad it's a puppy? i was gonna yeah, say uh, the space is, is running a, loose over there I have, a, I, have, I have a brand new puppy it's a week old and what it loves to do is is climb up the steps and then scream to come back because it's scared to come back down oh, so that's goodness. what's happening yes <laughs> We have a, my wife has a four and a half pound, I kid you not, dorky um, that she named Humphrey Bogey, which we call Bogey. And so after her favorite actor. So, yeah. (laughs) Maybe he's hungry. No, he's not hungry. Trust me. He's just wanting me to go up there and pick him up off the top of the Go stairs, rescue so. him. So I will. <laughs> Thanks, Matt Jackson. It's been a blast. Thanks so much. Thank you very and much. And we will talk to you guys soon. Take care. See you guys. Phantom Galaxy signing off. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. 
And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.